I want to introduce you to an idea, shall we say a theory, by a chap called Makinda. Now, if you're in India or are Punjabi, no, this is not an Indian name, but was in fact an English guy. Sir Halford John Makinda was born in 1861 and died in 1947. He wrote a paper. The paper was called Geographical Pivot of History. It was written in 1904. In this paper, he proposes this idea, an idea that he called the Heartland Theory. Stuff like this gets lost in dusty history books, and I would argue that this theory is very relevant even today, because I feel it explains a lot of the geopolitical decisions of the US-led Western alliance, at least for a couple of centuries or so, and certainly explains the Western near obsession with Russia. It also ties into some of my prior episodes where I have talked about the West and also about Russia, so go check them out. But for this episode, I'm going to talk to you through the history of this theory, because, as I said, I feel a lot of policymakers in the US and probably also that bastion of American minions, the UK, still think of this theory to be reasonably accurate, or at least their actions tell us they believe it. Not that in 2023, all these years since 1904, some of his theories may need to be looked at again, and I will look at those again. But, as you will see, the fact that the West still buys this idea and implements it in their policymaking makes this theory that much more relevant. So, what is it? And I'll repeat this twice so it's understood. Number one, the world island consisting of the interlinked continents of Europe, Asia, and Africa, that's Afro-Eurasia. This was the largest, most populous, and richest of all possible land combinations. Number two, the offshore islands, including the British Isles and Japan, were offshore islands. And number three, the outer-lying islands. This includes the continents of North America, South America, and Oceania. The heartland lay at the centre of the world island, stretching from the Volga to the Yangtze and from the Himalayas to the Arctic. Mackinder's heartland was the area, then at least back in 1904, ruled by the Russian Empire and after that by the Soviet Union. So, to repeat, the world island consisted of the interlinked continents of Europe, Asia and Africa, and this was the largest, most populous and richest all possible land combinations. Then he said that the offshore islands, that's basically everything around those, including the British Isles and Japan, were basically offshore islands. And then you had the third layer, the outer line islands, that included the North American and the South American continents and islands in the oceans. The heartland lay, according to Mr. Mackinder, lay at the center of the world island, stretching from the Volga to the Yangtze, and from the Himalayas to the Arctic, essentially most of modern Russia, Western China, and much of Central Asia. Interestingly, some years later, in 1919, now after the Great War, Mackinder went back to his 1904 work and summarized three things. 1. Who rules Eastern Europe commands the heartland. 2. Who rules the heartland commands the world island. And number 3. Who rules the world island commands the world. 
to repeat that per Mackinder, number one, who rules Eastern Europe commands the heartland, who rules the heartland commands the world island, who rules the world island commands the world. Thus, any power that controlled the world island would control well over 50% of the world's resources. The heartland's size and central position made it key to controlling the world island. It also had and has the immense advantage of being less populated so the resources can be moved elsewhere to where the population centers were. In Mackinder's mind, that was likely Europe or global European possessions. We're talking about 1904 and 1919 here. So I've described the heartland as Central Asia, Western China, and you can add Mongolia to that list, by the way, and what is Russia. So to the north of that heartland, you have essentially the Arctic, which at least in 1904 was pretty much inaccessible. Right outside the heartland, you have what is called the Inner Crescent. This is the Rimland, what Mackinder called the Rimland. It includes essentially the rest of China, the rest of Russia, the Indian subcontinent, the modern Middle East, and some of Southeast Asia, plus all of Europe, excluding the UK. The rest of the planet, according to Mackinder, is just the outer crescent, and this includes most of Africa, the major islands, and the North and South American continents. You may be seeing from what I've described thus far as to why the British and Americans may be in at least all of the West, may be so obsessed about Russia and why NATO, after 1991, seeks to expand into Europe's, or at least Eastern Europe. Now, let me for the third time repeat, Mackinder. Who rules Eastern Europe commands the heartland. Who rules the heartland commands the world island. And who rules the world island commands the world. Now, I do have some points of contention that I don't to totally agree with Mackinder on, and I want to get into that. For example, the whole obsession with Europe. Well, what about China? Etc. 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 But first, let's just let's just put this theory into context. In 1904, when it was written, the British Empire was all powerful. It was the Edwardian era, and the English language and the culture and the British military were supreme. The British had interests in many parts of the world, but their crown jewels were India. That country, or that territory, was the engine that ran everything else. Russia was also a large land empire. While the British controlled India, China was going through its century of humiliation, so was not really a threat to anyone. While with Russia, the British had what was known as the Great Game. The Great Game was essentially a chicken and mouse competition between the British and the Russians, very similar to what the Americans and the Russians are playing in 2023. So you might be familiar with that. China, as I've said, was out of the picture. It was not a threat to anyone. And so was India. So really, that's what drove Mackinder's 1919 idea, right? That Eastern Europe was the key. Never did he think that India or China could be the key to the heartland. Mackinder's theory is thus very much in the context of 1904. In that context, and from his point of view, India and China are down and out. Russia is the main menace, 
but it ruled, and I'm air quoting, but I do believe that they believed it, that Russia is run by backwards. Of course, all this was to be proven to Mackinder's bias by the Russian loss to the even more then Western belief, loss to the even more racially inferior Japanese in 1904-1905's Russo-Japanese War. And then the Russian Communist Revolution of 1917 solidified Mackinder's views anyway. What I do agree with him on is the idea that the geographical area of Russia is the planet's most resource-rich area, not just Russia, Central Asia, and Western China too. This, by the way, is especially true if you live in Asia or Europe. Eastern Europe is the gateway to the heartland, like he says, but as Napoleon and Hitler found out, the hard way, it's harder than you think it is. In my view, in 2023, the gateway to the heartland is China and India. But anyway, Mackinder's theory has other flaws too. He, of course, as I've mentioned, discounts India and China completely. He does not account for the Arctic thaw that would happen later on. And he does not consider ancient human trade areas. That's basically India, China, Central Asia, all the way to uh, modern Turkey. I will get into those in a little bit. But if you've listened to prior episodes, then of course you will know a few of my ideas already. But I want to address here, right now, the entire idea of, would you believe, continents. Yes, the continents. You know, stuff like Africa. Well, as we know, or we should know, countries are lines on a map. They do not exist in the real or the natural world. The lines are imaginary in the human brain. In some places like India, Pakistan, North Korea, South Korea, and Israel, where the humans have a real tiff with the neighbors, those lines are absolute and more real. But most other places in the world have porous land borders. Also, a lot of what you think you know about the world map is wrong. Their countries, of course, are made up, but so is the map itself. Have you noticed how eerily large Greenland is vis-a-vis the entire continent of Africa? India looks tiny, while France looks inflated. The US and Russia look much bigger than they actually are. Why? Why also is Europe at the center of a map? And the planet is round and yet Europe's in the middle? Why? 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 You see, maps were created by Europeans and Eurocentric sailors. That's what we use today. So Europe is made to look bigger. Not only did it help the local ego, but it also meant you could actually see those tiny European countries on a big map. In addition, Europe is in the Northern Hemisphere. That Northern Hemisphere is made to look bigger as you go north and smaller as you go south. Go look at a map yourself. It's really true. But because Australia and New Zealand are European countries in the Southern Hemisphere, they are made to look a tad bigger than the biased map of the South would otherwise be. So there you have it, a flawed map, imaginary lines, and imaginary-ish map itself. Made up stuff. I mean, there's no reason to make this up. You could even turn the map upside down and put India in the middle. There's so many things you can do, but nobody does. After all, the map and planet are absolute facts, aren't they? You can go out into space and see the world. Yet, little children and adults alike are exposed to what is in essence a complete and utter lie. Even your trusty map online from your favorite search engine has that bias. So be very, very careful. Anyway, 
I have digressed too much. In fact, I've digressed twice. I was supposed to talk to you about continents on a map. Continents are land masses and simply agreed to by convention. Unlike countries, no one is running a continent. So that includes Europe. No one is running the European continent either. Most English-speaking countries recognize seven continents. In order from the largest to smallest in area, these are seven regions of the world. Asia, Africa, North America, South America, Antarctica, Europe, and then Australia. Some people take liberties, so there can be variations with fewer continents. Some merge, and some regions do too. For example, you can merge North America and South America into America, Asia and Europe into Eurasia, and Africa, Asia, and Europe into Afro-Eurasia. These continents are not to be confused with geological continents where tectonic plates meet. No, what I'm talking about here are quasi-political definitions, not geographical, real geological definitions. But the next bit I'm going to talk about is really important, so pay close attention. Ancient Greek thinkers debated whether Africa, then it was called Libya, should be considered part of Asia or a third part of the world. Division into three parts eventually came to predominate. So, from the ancient Greek viewpoint, the Aegean Sea was at the center of the world. Asia lay to the east, Europe to the north and the west, and Africa to the south. That's it. Someone, somewhere, did that. And that's how Asia got its name, since Asia lay to the east of the Greeks. They didn't realize how far east it would keep going. To the north was Europe, and then Africa to the south. Americas, of course, came later. There you have your continents. A bunch of ancients gave some names, and the names stick. That's simple. So don't think that continents are something special either. Like a country's border, they are also imaginary things on a map and in your mind. I am going to wrap up the episode in a bit, but first, back to Mackinder and his theory. And I was about to tell you my issues that I have with the theory, but I digressed. So, again, to repeat and to remind you, I have three main contentions. Number one, he discounted China and India. Number two, he did not account for the Arctic thaw. And number three, he does not consider ancient human trade areas as particularly that important. He's too Eurocentric. So, let's break this down. Number one. Because in 1904 and then in 1919, India was under British control and China had been invaded, raped and destroyed by foreign powers, Mackinder was able to discount the importance of the two lands with the highest populations in the world. I think the heartland ultimately plays second fiddle to China and India. And the heartland is actually, in my view, better accessed through China or India and not Eastern Europe. So the key to the heartland is China really not Europe. That said, I would agree with Mackinder 100% in terms of resource richness of the heartland, and that still is true. Yes, North America is also a huge producer of energy, as are so many other places in the world. But those places also consume their energy, and they don't have that many people, and it's far away to export too. And thus, exporting it over the oceans maybe, or over land, is pricey. The heartland is right there. You can access it in Europe, you can specifically access it in China, and you can also access it from India. Two, his assumption is that the North Pole is inaccessible. Thanks to the beauty of warmer air, 
these days up north, north of Siberia, that area is now completely accessible. That creates threats and it also creates opportunities for the heartland. Three, he's completely ignored the traditional human trade areas, basically where everyone lives, Anatolia, Egypt, across the Middle East, India, and China. But again, if you look purely as a center of resource area minus human resources, as a center of resource area, the heartland is still more important than places that hold people. From 1945 to 1991, the USSR controlled almost the entire heartland, Eastern Europe, Russia, Central Asia, as well as other bits and pieces. China was really the only holdout that was not in the USSR. Today, the heartland is Russia, Western China, the stand countries in Central Asia, such as Kazakhstan. Eastern Europe is controlled by the US on the west and Russia on the east. Russia is the biggest country in Europe and the largest country in Eastern Europe. Today, it is Eastern Europe. It is essentially Eastern Europe because what was Eastern Europe back in 1990, like Romania or Poland, is today considered Central Europe. See how fungible these things are? Anyway, this explains to a huge degree Western Europe's obsession with Russia. Russia is sitting pretty on the biggest and ample food, raw material, and energy resources on Earth, and they can export almost all of it because they have enough. If the Western countries can just break Russia, cut it into bits and pieces, or even bring it back to the broken 1990s Russia, then they can control the resources and thus the world. I would argue that there is a lot of truth to that statement. The West, meaning the US, can own China and own India if Russia was wiped off the map. However, in 2023, China and India have agency of their own, as does Russia. Imagine if one could combine China, India and Russia alongside those ancient trade routes. What do you have then? It's not impossible to imagine. The SCO, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, as well as the BRICS, consisting of Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, it's a move towards that. So in short, the Mackinder theory of the heartland is a decent one for people interested in international relations. It does have flaws, but what the theory isn't, and I think to me, I reckon people are even subconsciously following it. So what it isn't is, it isn't meaningless, it's relevant because people are following this theory and you should keep a close eye on it because it still matters.